0: As promised, we're gonna be working on some art today, and I was on um, I was on a stream with Ava Deva, uh, Drea, uh, Ava Drea last Thursday, and I actually started working on this art, but um, while I was working on the art, I wanted to actually listen to a video. So, let's actually get to the art. Let's see if I can actually make it better. Um and for those of you guys who don't know there we go. I'm a big Avatar fan, but I'm gonna be doing a picture where um we um oh cell phone don't want that shit to pop up if something pops in I know my phone and I know what type of notices I get sometimes. But um we're gonna actually be doing this. I'm gonna be working on a um a piece of art. And we're gonna actually be listening to um Um, let's see alright cool there we go we're going to be working on a piece of art but we're also going to be um, listening to an uh, actual debate from um, 1965 that has been that's actually almost as old as my mother's been alive this is almost 60 years. And it's talking about, well, race relations. We're going to actually hear this from James Baldwin and William X. Buckley. Um, this is the debate that Joe uh, reminded me of. I heard about it and I looked it up and I didn't get a chance to watch it. But we're going to watch it today while I work on arts. So, shall we? shall we actually work on this here let's um let's go and we're gonna
1: do one of the course. all right let's go the following program is from net the national educational television network hey. debate
0: NET, I've never heard of that one. Okay, that's that's new. Let's
1: go. James Baldwin versus William Buckley. Subject. Has the American dream been achieved at the expense of the American Negro?
0: This You can tell this is old, this is black and white. Um But let, let's go.
1: Let's go. This debate was held recently at the Cambridge Union, Cambridge University, England, and was recorded for use by NET. Well here we are in the debating
0: Okay, so I guess it was like a, um, it was in Cambridge, I guess it was,
1: um, I don't know. Okay, let's go. ...hall of the Cambridge Union. Hundreds of undergraduates and myself waiting for what could prove one of the most exciting debates in the whole 150 years of the union history. It really, I don't think I've ever seen the union so well attended. There are undergraduates everywhere, they're on the benches, they're on the floor, they're in the galleries, and there are a lot more outside uh, clamoring to get in. Well, the motion that has drawn this huge crowd uh, tonight is this, that the American dream has been a-
0: Okay, dude, like stop. Oh God, shut up and just host the debate. I'm being
1: impatient. Achieved at the expense of the American Negro. The debate will open with two undergraduate speakers, one from each side, and then we shall have the first distinguished guest, Mr. James Baldwin, the well-known American novelist who's achieved a worldwide fame uh, with his novel, Uh, Another Country. Then opposing the motion will be Mr. William Buckley, also an American, very well known as a conservative.
0: I guess they're in England. I, I wanted, to, I didn't want to actually just say that they were in like you know Turf Island. I guess before it became Turf Island, um, but they didn't. They were in the Brits area, but I guess they are. Let's go.
1: ...in the United States. I'm the stress, a stress of conservative in the American sense, author of a book called Up From Liberalism, and editor of the National Review, one of the early supporters of Senator Goldwater.
0: <laughs> oh, no. William H. Buckley was a... Oh, God, no. He was a supporter of Goldwater. Okay. Now we see what the problem is.
1: Well, this is the setting of the debate, and at any moment now, the uh, president will be leading in his officers and his distinguished guests, he'll take his chair, and the debate will begin. motion before the house tonight is the american dream is at the expense of the american negro pre- yes
0: the answer is yes like we don't even need to debate the answer is yes yes very much yes very much yes and it is actually more true it was actually more true in 1965 it's a little bit um less true now because america is fucking over everybody um but it was more true in 1965
2: yes proposed to mr david haycock of pembroke college and
1: opposition Mr. Jeremy Burford of Emanuel College. Mr. James Baldwin will speak third, Mr. William F. Buckley, Jr. will speak fourth. Mr. Haycock is the heir of the house.
2: (laughs) Mr. Mr. President, sir, it is the custom of the house for the first speaker in any debate to extend a formal welcome to any visitors to the house. I can honestly say, however, that it is a very great honour to be able to welcome to the house this evening Mr. William Buckley and Mr. James... I mean, like...
0: Like, look at who's all in attendance there. Do you guys see any a woman? Do you guys see any a woman?
2: Baldwin. Mr. William Buckley has the reputation of possibly being the most articulate conservative in the United States of America.
0: Oh, God. He was the most articulate conservative? Okay.
2: He was a graduate of Yale, and he first gained a reputation for himself by publishing a book entitled God and Man and Yale.
3: (laughs) Since
2: then, he has devoted himself to the secular, and this has included Norman Mailer, Kenneth Tynan, Mary McCarthy, and Fidel Castro, none of whom have come out of their confrontations unscathed. (laughs) At present, his principal occupation is editing a right-wing newspaper in the United States entitled The National Review. Mr. James Baldwin is hardly in need of introduction. His reputation both as a novelist and as an advocate of civil rights is international. His third novel, Another Country, has been published as a paperback in England today. Mr. Baldwin and Mr. Buckley are both very welcome. I mean, like, it's gotta
0: be weird to be like, it's just like you're going to another country and you have to explain how your country is fucked up. Uh, I guess, I guess, let's go. To the house this evening.
2: President. A society which above all values freedom and equality. A society in which artificial barriers to fulfilment and achievement are unheard of. A society in which a man may begin his life with a rail splitter and end it as president.
0: But that never happens, dog, especially now. Like, even especially back then, like like it is it has been said, I mean, like, yeah, they they do say it that like, you know James Baldwin did get some fame, did get some um, notoriety um, around the world because of how he was uh, an author. But I do not marvel at the Einsteins. I marvel at the people who would have been Einstein if they had the opportunity. And not to take away anything from, you know, James Baldwin, but how many people would have been just so. How many people were laid to the wayside? And he said it, because, and like we saw that HB, ABC interview because like oppression, but well, let's go.
2: A society in which all men are free in every sense of the word. Free to live where they choose, free to work where they choose. Equal in the eyes of the law and every public authority and equal in the eyes of their fellows. A society in fact, in which intolerance and prejudice are meaningless terms. Imagine however, Mr. President, that a condition of this utopia has been the persistent and quite deliberate exploitation of one-ninth of its inhabitants. That one man in nine has been denied those rights which the rest of that society takes for granted. That one man in nine... Okay, it's
0: women um, in the background. Okay, I'm seeing it, I'm looking
2: at it. ...does not have the chance for fulfillment or realization of his innate potentialities. <coughs> that one man in nine cannot promise his children a secure future and unlimited opportunities. Imagine this, Mr. President, and you have what is, in my opinion, <coughs> the bitter reality of the American dream. Okay. A few weeks ago, Martin Luther King, had to hold a nonviolent demonstration in Selma, Alabama, in his drive to register Negro voters. By the end of the week of his demonstrations, he was able to write quite accurately in a national fundraising letter from Selma, Alabama jail. There are more Negroes in prison.
0: The letters from, um, was it the letters from Birmingham? What, like, like you would think that a lot of conservatives had, like, would see Martin Luther King's work and say, "Oh shit, I don't want to just remember one line. It's not the." color of their skin, but the content of their character. But no, they don't remember that one line. I, oh, okay, let's go. Come
2: with me. Well, now-
0: like, I mean, like, even, like, you would actually want, like, the story that he that Martin Luther King made, talking about how um, he, like, they shouldn't they should make the, the, the argument that Martin Luther King didn't just dislike white people. He wanted white people to walk with him. Like, no, they don't make that argument even though that would give so much—it's like Martin Luther King didn't care about who, what color you wanted. He wanted everybody to be free and have the choice. They don't. They only think of not about the color of your skin, but the content of your character. That's the only thing that they go for. But uh, all right, let's go.
2: There are on the voting rolls. When King wrote that letter, 335 out of 32,700 Negroes in Dallas had the vote—one percent of the Dallas population. After a mass march to the courthouse. 237 Negroes, King among them, were arrested. The following day, 470 children who had deserted their classrooms to protest against King's arrest were charged with juvenile delinquency. <laughs> 36 adults on the same day were charged with contempt of court for picketing the courthouse while State Circuit Court was in session.
0: Like, like, left is now, man. Like, I get it. Like, you have more comfortable living arrangements, but, like, like, if the left is now did the shit, like... Like the people who are on the online left, they're talking about voting doesn't matter. They don't do this shit. <clears throat> of course, you have Antifa and you have with are really like they're not even leftists that do this shit. It's liberals who go out and protest, it's liberals who went out for the Black Lives Matter protest. Leftists, especially the online leftists. And I, I'm not gonna lie, like, shit, I have worked and I, I, I like. But these are people who don't have work that sit behind and scream and do a post all day. If you can't do it because, you know, I don't, I'm not physically able to do it, uh, you know. No, a lot of these people, they are just motherfuckers who want to poo-poo doing anything. They are accelerationists. But when you hear that, oh, King got arrested, then people who went out of protest again got arrested, then the kids who got charged with truancy got arrested. Like, you like how don't you realize this shit it's more than just saying well we're just not gonna vote and these are gonna get so bad that people like uh, okay okay let's go
2: on the following day 111 people were arrested on the same charge despite their claim that they merely wanted to see the voting registrar 400 students were arrested and taken to the armory where many often spent the night on a cold cement floor the following day the demonstration spread to marion alabama in marion negroes outnumber whites By eleven and a half thousand to six thousand people, and yet only three hundred are registered to vote. Negroes in Marion were anxious to test the public accommodation section of the Civil Rights Law. They entered a drug store and there they were served with Coca-Cola laced with salt, and were told that hamburgers had risen to five dollars each.
0: After the damn, they was giving Coca-Cola that was laced with salt, and said that the hamburgers are five dollars. I I wonder, like, was that like saying like hamburgers are thirty dollars? Martin Luther King Jr. was anti-capitalist that's why conservatives hate him of course they hate him they, they, of course they, they have nothing but contempt for Martin Luther King they say they, they don't but they do they have nothing but contempt for Martin Luther King let's go
2: the rest of 15 Negroes for protesting against this treatment 700 Negroes boycotted their classes next day and marched in orderly fashion to the jail there they sang civil rights songs until they were warned by a, a state trooper that they would be arrested if they sung one more song
3: of course they
0: sang another song. <laughs> of they sang right. <laughs> like, fuck. Could you imagine a lot of us online leftists actually saying that shit? Like, it's like, sing another song, motherfucker. You gonna yeah. Okay. Do do but and like don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, cops have gotten like um like yeah, cops back then was soft. Like, no, they suck they they they, the only thing, reason why they're not putting dogs dogs on us now is because that would be in- inhumane to the dogs. Like, seriously. Water hoses and shit like that. You think that people in the Civil Rights era wasn't pre- pepper spray? You think they weren't beaten by the cops? Of course they were God damn. Alright, let's go.
2: American society has felt fit to use Negro labor. It has felt fit to, to use the blood of the Negro in two world wars. It has felt fit to listen to his music It has felt fit to laugh at his jokes. And yet, as far as I'm concerned, it has never felt fit to give the American Negro a fair deal. And for this reason, Mr. President, I would beg leave to propose the motion that the American dream is at the expense of the American Negro.
1: I now call Mr. Jeremy Burford of Emanuel College to oppose the motion.
0: Isn't it fun to hear people debate about the rights that people have because, you know, it's a debate and, you know, we need to, like... Like, this is the shit that I don't get about a lot of people who um, only see, you know, politics as a debate. Oh, because it's only a debate and nobody ever has to live by the decisions that um, wildmakers have fucked a lot of people over for because it's just a debate. You should have the conversation and marketplace of ideas and all that other good shit. Because reasons.
1: Now I have Mr. Jeremy Burford of Emanuel College, who is the first undergraduate opposing the motion.
4: James Baldwin is well known as one of the most vivid and articulate writers about the Negro problem in America.
0: Uh, Fuck, you just don't go to like, oh, you just aren't tip. Like, okay, all right, let's go.
4: Mr. Baldwin had a difficult childhood and he has personally himself suffered discrimination and ill treatment in the South of America. But I would like to say at this this, uh, time that it is not the purpose of this side of the house to condone that in any way at all. It is not our purpose to oppose civil rights. Uh, It is our purpose to oppose this motion.
0: Like, like, you, like, he's literally doing it. He is literally doing it. Well we can we, we know that this bad shit happens, but it's we're just here to discuss it. Like we we the, like you have no defense. The only defense that you have is what we know is bad and it's just like it's not really, you know, making us feel good, but I have to do it, but we know it's bad, right? Like, okay, let's go. And... <laughs>
4: Thank you, sir. Come and collect your fee afterwards. <laughs> This side of the house denies that the American dream has in any way been helped by this undoubted inequality and suffering of the Negro. We maintain that, in fact, it has hindered the American dream. And if if there had been equality, if there had been true freedom of opportunity, the American dream would be very much more advanced than it is now.
0: I mean, like, let's let's say something. I mean, like, the British weren't exactly, oh yeah, they were knocking down the door to say, like, yeah, maybe y'all should kind of treat y'all slaves a little bit different. But they weren't exactly blameless in other places in their own colleges, right? They weren't, right? Uh, all right? All right, let's go.
4: If the American dream has made any progress, and I think it has, it has been made in spite of the suffering and inequality of the American Negro, and not because of it. Now, it is also implied from this motion that the American dream is encouraging and worsening the suffering of the American Negro. This is emphatically not the case.
0: Wait a minute. I know this is before Red Line actually. Really, actually, officially started, but um, I gotta call bullshit on that dog. I got, okay. All right, all right let us go.
4: The American dream, the American economic prosperity, and respect for civil liberties has been the main factor in bringing about the undoubted improvement in race relations in America. In no, the fuck it hasn't. Especially
0: in nineteen ninety-sixty-five. Okay. Okay. I, okay. I'm. I'm. I'm being that guy. Okay, let, let,
4: let's go. ...the last 20 years. And Professor Arnold Rose, who is the author of The Negro in America, which is perhaps the definitive work on the subject, um, who is also uh, a contributor to what was called a freedom pamphlet. So I should imagine that if uh, he has any bias at all, he's in favor of the Negro. He said that this... Uh... I...
0: Yo, big Clark Kent looking ass. So here's the thing, and what's what's bugging me about this is like, oh no, black people are doing good. Oh no, black people are doing better than what they have. Oh no, in spite of the shit that black people, like this is 1965. This is 1965. This is 1965. I want you guys to remember, this is not an argument, of course conservatives still try to use this argument now, but this is a, this is in 1965, but well, let's go
4: improvement in race relations will be seen in years to come as remarkably quick and he has put it down <laughs> remarkably quick
0: <laughs> improvement in race relations remarkably quick okay okay Fuck.
4: okay let's let's go to three main causes increased industrialization and technical advance the increased social mobility of the american people increased social
0: mobility wow this is this didn't age well
4: and the economic prosperity and I would put it to this house that that industrialization and economic prosperity are two of the main ingredients of the American dream. And at the same time, again, I do not want to say that uh, the, America, the Negro in America is treated fairly. But at the same time, the average...
0: At least he's going to give us that, right? He's going to give us that, right? He, he, he's going to give us that. Okay, let's go. The average
4: per capita income of Negroes in America is exactly the same as the average per capita income of people in Great Britain. Now... Um
0: you shouldn't live with that dog because that it's not the win that you think it is it is quite literally saying like oh like they, they have the average income like we do here maybe where you're at is also fucked up I'm, I'm just saying
4: I'm just saying I found that absolutely <laughs> I found that absolutely amazing and I, I understand <laughs> Understand that some of you do as well so i have got the reference here from the united states news and world report of july the 22nd 1963 in which it points out this will have to be the last interruption i take as time is running short.
1: Please. mr president on a point of information is the speaker talking of real income or money income yeah talking
0: okay. of money. he called it out is he talking about real income or money income he called him out he called him out oh god that that was just awesome
4: Talking of money income, I would not wish to disguise that. Uh, I would also say that in terms of this, there are only five countries in the world where the income is higher than that of the American Negro, and they do not include countries like West Germany and France and Japan. Now, there are in America um, 35 Negro millionaires. There are Negro 600.
0: 600- oh, my God. 35 black millionaires. Oh, oh wow. Wow. Shit. Com- Pat, can that to how many white millionaires? Can, can trash that to how many white millionaires? Uh, uh, it, it, is it represent a representative of the, the, the population? Wait, no, it's not. But let's go.
4: Thousand dollars. Now I do not, by saying this, wish to emphasize that the Negro is fairly treated. I merely wish to try and convey a more realistic and objective uh, account of the uh, situation of the Negro. I agree that there are um, Negroes who are very poor indeed. Such as these.
0: <laughs> like, his point is being laughed at because he's like, they know that he's on some bullshit. His point is being laughed at. Like, he's literally being laughed at. But let's go. Such as I the- really like my Zuko so far. Uh, I'm using the book three cover art and of course, I know it's not exactly like it is, but this is practice. This is practice.
4: A gentleman in the South who uh, who was uh, talking about some of his wealthier brethren, he was saying, "Yes, uh, some of these uh, rich Negroes they put on airs. They like the bottom figure of a fraction. The bigger they try to be, the smaller they really are." I <laughs> would like.
0: He just said it's like some of these people in the South is like these black people be putting on airs, but like.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete, Mr. President, sir, uh, in the last minute I have, that this debate is not whether civil rights should be extended to American Negroes or not. If it were, it would be a very easy motion to argue for and a very easy motion to vote for. The debate tonight uh, concerns whether the American dream is at the expense of the American Negro. That is, whether the American Negro has paid for the American dream with his suffering, or whether the American dream... Yes. Yes.
0: Again, this is 1965. Yes yes
4: has furthered negro inequality and i would deny both those two precepts i would say that negro inequality has hindered the american dream and i would say that the american dream has been very important indeed in furthering civil rights and in furthering freedom for the american negro mr president sir i beg to oppose the motion
0: um your points were bullshit dog i just want you to know that your points were bullshit all right let's go
3: It
1: is now with very great pleasure and a very great sense of honor that I called Mr. James Baldwin to speak third to this motion. Now we have Mr. James Baldwin, the star of the evening, who has been sitting, listening attentively, he's getting a wonderful reception here.
0: I think they like him. I really do. I think they like him. I think they like him in what he's about to say. Where is my phone? All right, okay, here it
1: goes right here. Let's go. In the Cambridge Union, tremendous enthusiasm from all sides of the house to Mister Baldwin, who has been listening to the argument. Now we'll bring the voice of actual experience to the debate. Good evening.
5: <laughs> I um I find myself not for the first time. And okay, so
0: let's just have a conversation while they're working on it. I'm sorry, just checking the all messages. Um, at this point, James Baldwin had, like, started to, like, really be, um, pre- um, really, like, notoriety in his career. Um, I don't know if this is before or after he left, but they wouldn't publish his book in the U.S., so he, um, moved to France. and um, yeah and this is, this is some interesting shit so
5: let, let's go um, the position of a kind of Jeremiah for example I don't disagree with Mr. Burford that the um, the inequality suffered by the American Negro population of the United States has hindered the American dream
0: this is somebody who's lived it this is who has lived it he has lived it Hold on, guys. Sorry about that I didn't send
5: a message. Indeed, it has. I quarreled with some other things he had to say. The other, deeper element of.
0: Just his theatrics is just like, fuck, you can just hear the theatrics that he has going on. But let's go, let's go
5: a certain awkwardness I feel has to, do with, um, it has to do with one's point of view, I have to put it that way, one's, uh, one's sense, of one's system of reality. It would seem to me that the proposition before the House, when I put it that way, is the American dream at the expense of the American Negro, All the American dream is at the expense of the American Negro, is a question hideously loaded, and that one's response to that question, or one's reaction to that question, has to depend on effect an effect, on where you find yourself in the world, what your sense of reality is, what your system of reality is. That is, it depends on assumptions which we hold so deeply as to be scarcely aware of them. A white South African or a Mississippi sharecropper, or a Mississippi sheriff or a Frenchman driven out of Algeria all have at bottom a system of reality which compels them to, for example, in the case of the French exile from Algeria...
0: So this is what actually, if you are somebody who is advocating for um, BIPOC rights, if you're somebody who's advocating for, you know, women's rights, if you're somebody who's advocating for you know, indigenous people's rights, you never keep it about that one group. You always equate specifically to everybody else's struggle, if you just keep it about that one group, if you just keep it towards how, oh, this one group is oppressed, so this is the bad part about it, you are not doing it right. Because it only makes it sound as if you only care about that one group. Do you care about oppression or do you care that other people are hurting? Do you care about your your particular history so you can actually push for revenge? Or are you literally caring about the proletariat? Are you somebody who sticks up for the little guy because you are part of that group or you don't think anybody should be oppressed? And this is the thing that a lot of people miss. Because they don't want to destroy the system. They just want to be on top of it. But let's continue
5: to defend French reasons for having ruled Algeria. The Mississippi or the Alabama sheriff, who really does believe when he's facing a Negro boy or girl, that this woman, this man, this child, must be insane to attack the system to which he owes his entire identity. Of course, for such a person, the proposition of which which we're trying to discuss here tonight does not exist. And on the other hand, I have to speak as one of the people who've been most attacked by what we must now here call the Western or the European system of reality. What white people in the world, the white, doctor of white supremacy, I hate to say it here, comes from Europe. That's how it got to America.
0: Damn it. Like, he's, like, what, regardless of what you're trying to say, of what people may think of what he's actually trying to say, he is literally actually speaking about white supremacy and how it hurts other people across the world. Not just black people, but other people across the world. And the fact is, when you... And he, he again, what did we say with the Michael Brooks video? Be harsh on systems, but kind to people. He is literally doing this shit where he's literally trying to say, Hey, you know, I'm not trying to call you guys out, but I'm calling out the white supremacy that stays there. But let's go. Beneath, then, whatever
5: one's reaction to this proposition is, has to be the question of whether or not civilizations can be considered as such equal, or whether one civilization has the right to overtake and subjugate and, in fact, to destroy another. Now what happens when that happens? Leaving aside all the physical facts which one can quote, leaving aside rape or murder, leaving aside the bloody catalogue of oppression, which we are in one way too familiar with already. What this does to the subjugated, the most private, the most serious thing this does to the subjugated, is to destroy his sense of reality. It destroys, for example, his his father's authority over him. His father can no longer tell him anything because the past has disappeared. And his father has no power in the world. This means, in the case of an American Negro, born in that glittering republic, and in the moment you are born, since you don't know any better, Every stick and stone and every face is white, and since you have not yet seen a mirror, you suppose that you are too. It comes as a great shock.
0: Like, he is literally just like, oh, okay. Okay, James. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay, James. Let, let's, let's go. Let's go. Let's
5: go. Around the age of five or six or seven, to discover the flag which you have pledged allegiance <laughs> along with everybody else, has not pledged allegiance to you. It comes as a great shock to discover that Gary Cooper killing off the Indians when you were rooting for Gary Cooper—that the Indians were you. It comes as a great shock to discover that. The-
0: My man is up there, is like, yo, exactly. Like, when you talk about how, and like, I hate to say theory and all that other shit because I'm not. And he, but he's making it. He's making it about, hey you don't know that you're other until you start facing that you're other. When you look at, this is, like, he said Gary Cooper is, so far as, I guess, an actor that did, like, Cowboys and Indian movies, where they were the other. Then you start to realize, oh, shit, I'm part of the they that are the other. And it's a shock. It is a shock. But uh, let's go. And people that say representation is important. This is where it comes from. But let's go.
5: The country, which is your birthplace and to which you owe your life and your identity, has not in its whole system of reality evolved any place for you. <laughs> the disaffection, the demoralization, and the gap between one person and another, only on the basis of the color of their skins, begins there and accelerates. ...accelerates throughout a whole lifetime... ...so the presently you realize you're 30. And are having a terrible time... ...managing to trust... ...your countrymen. By the time you are 30... ...you have been through a certain kind of mill. And the most serious effect of the mill you've been through... ...is again not the catalogue of disaster. The policemen, the taxi drivers... ...the waiters, the landlady, the landlord... ...the banks, the insurance companies... ...the millions of details... 24 hours of every day, which spell out to you that you are a worthless human being. It is not that, it is by that time you've begun to see it happening in your daughter or your son or your niece or your nephew. You are 30 by now and nothing you have done has helped you to escape the trap. But what is worse than that is that nothing you have done and as far as you can tell, nothing you can do will save your son or your
0: daughter this is a better zoo code than what I originally drew it has. Yeah, I think this is a, definitely a better zoo code, but
5: let's go. ...meeting the same disaster and not impossibly coming to the same end. Now, we're speaking about expense. I suppose there's several ways to address oneself to some attempt to define what that word means here. Let me put it this way, that from a very literal point of view the harbors and the ports and the railroads of the country, the economy especially of the southern states could not conceivably be what it has become if they had not had and do not still have indeed and for so long, for many generations, cheap labor.
0: Exactly.
5: I am stating very seriously, and this is not an overstatement,
0: that I picked the cotton,
5: and I carried it to market, and I built the railroads under someone else's whip for nothing. For nothing. The Southern oligarchy, which has until today so much power in Washington, and therefore some power in the world, was created by my labor and my sweat and the violation of my women and the murder of my children. Damn it, dude. Damn it. In the land of the free and the home of the brave. And no one can challenge that statement. It is a matter of historical record. In another way, this dream, and we'll get to the dream in a moment, is at the expense of the American Negro. You watch this in the Deep South in great relief, but not only in the Deep South. In the Deep South,
0: you—this is just crazy. Like, just—just how much of a great uh, orator this guy was. But let's go.
5: Dealing with a sheriff or a landlord or a landlady or the girl at the Western Union desk, and she doesn't know quite who she's dealing with. By which I mean that if you're not part of the town. And if you are a northern nigger, it shows in millions of ways. So she simply knows that it's an unknown quantity and she wants to have nothing to do with it. So she won't talk to you. You have to wait for a while to get your telegram. Okay, we all know this. We've been through it. And by the time you get to be a man, it's very easy to deal with. But what is happening in the poor woman, the poor man's mind, is this. They've been raised to believe. And by now they helplessly believe. That no matter how terrible their lives may be, (laughs) Their lives have been quite terrible And no matter how far they fall No matter what disaster overtakes them They have one enormous knowledge and consolation Which is like a heavenly revelation At least they are not black (laughs) Now I suggest
0: And so this is a Like we This is back in 1965 That so many people Were like oh dude yeah My life is bad And don't get me wrong when somebody says that white people have privilege, they are not saying that they lived a charmed life. No one is saying that. They, what people are saying, though, is that cool, great. Do you also want to be black as well? Do you want to be poor? Do you want to be in some shit? But do you want to be treated as black people are treated as? And most of those people will say no. But let, let's continue. Let's continue. That
5: of all a terrible thing that can happen to a human being. That is one of the worst. I suggest that what has happened to white southerners is in some ways, after all, much worse than what has happened to, white, to, to Negroes there. Because Sheriff Clark in Selma, Alabama, cannot be considered, you know, no one is, can be dismissed as a total monster. I'm sure he loves his wife, his children. I'm sure that, you no, know, he likes to get drunk know he's after all one's got to assume and he is visibly a man like me but he doesn't know what drives him to use the club to menace with the gun and to use a cattle prod something awful must have happened to a human being to be able to put a cattle prod against a woman's breasts for example what happens to the woman is ghastly what happens to the man who does it is in some ways much much worse this is being done after all not a hundred years ago But in 1965, in a country which is blessed with what we call prosperity, a word we won't examine too closely, with a certain kind of social coherence, which calls itself a civilized nation and which espouses the notion of the freedom of the world. And it is perfectly true from the point of view now simply of an American Negro. Any American Negro watching this, no matter where he is, from the back... Probably in no matter when... Hello, let's go. At point of Harlem, which is another terrible place, has to say to himself, in spite of what the government says, the government says we can't do anything about it. But those are white people being murdered in Mississippi work farms, being carried off to jail. Those are white children running up and down the streets. The government will find some way of doing something
0: about it. We have a- I mean, Givalde and guns, Nah, government is cares even less now. I mean, like, my, my central premise is where they say that the American dream is built off the back of black people. It was more true in 1965. Now it's they're screwing everybody over if you're poor. Not Still screwing black people over more. Like, don't get me started. Yes, of course. But now they're screwing everybody over. But let, let's continue.
5: Civil rights bill now. We had an amendment, the 15th Amendment, nearly hundred years ago. I hate to sound again like an Old Testament prophet, but if the amendment was not honored then, I don't have any reason for believing the Civil Rights Bill will be honored now. And after all, one's been there since before, you know, a lot of other people got there. If one has got to prove one's title to the land, isn't 400 years enough? 400 years, at least three wars. The American soil is full of the corpses of my ancestors. Why is my freedom or my citizenship or my right to live there, how is it conceivably a question now? And I suggest further that in the same way, the moral life of Alabama sheriffs and poor Alabama ladies, white ladies, that their moral lives have been destroyed by the plague called color, that the American sense of reality has been corrupted by it.
0: God damn it. This is just, oh my God this is evergreen shit but let, let's let's go let's go
5: at the risk of sounding excessive what i always felt when i finally left the country
0: found myself abroad okay so this is after he left uh, the u.s okay let's go In Other places and
5: watched americans abroad and these are my countrymen and i do care about them and even if i didn't there is something between us we have the same shorthand i know I look at a girl or a boy from Tennessee, where they came from in Tennessee, and what that means. No Englishman knows that, no Frenchman, no one in the world knows that except another black man who comes from the same place. One watches these lonely people, denying the only kin they have. We talk about integration in America as though it was some great new conundrum. The problem in America is that we've been integrated for a very long time. Put me next to any African, and you will see what I mean. Damn. My grandmother was not a rapist. What we are not facing is the results of what we've done. What one begs the American people to do for all our sakes
0: is simply to accept our history. So here's the thing, and no, I'm not going to do the whole, like I'm American. I'm not African-American. I'm American, but there is some truth to the fact that we're fucking American. And I get it. Like, each person has his own, you know, each area has its own flavor and temperature and all that other good shit. Like, I'm not the same American as somebody who lives in Arkansas. I'm not. For me to actually sit back and play like I am, no, I'm not. But this is the shit, like, we are all American, goddammit. I was there not only as a slave, but also as a concubine. One knows
5: the power after all which can be used against another person if you got absolute power over that person. It seemed to me when I watched Americans in Europe, that what they didn't know about Europeans was what they didn't know about me. They weren't trying, for example, to be nasty to the French girl or rude to the French waiter. They didn't know, they hurt their feelings. They didn't have any sense that this particular woman, this particular man, though they spoke another language and had different manners and ways, was a human being. And they walked over them with the same kind of bland ignorance, condescension, charming, and cheerful. With which it always patted me on the head and called me shy. And were upset when I was upset. What is relevant about this?
0: So, which is it's hilarious is that what James Baldwin is saying right now is that it just it's not just kind of a, well, he, he treated like this American air of superiority is not just you know just visiting on black folks it's, it's not it's visiting on this whole arrogance and like American actually ha- Americans actually have to say oh no they're just like he's like literally talking about how people who were um, American that was coming over to France were just treating other people poorly and it's just sad man This is the legacy of our country, and it's sad, but let's continue.
5: Is that whereas 40 years ago when I was born, the question of having to deal with what is unspoken by the subjugated, what is never said to the master, having to deal with this reality was a very remote, very remote possibility. It was in no one's mind. When I was growing up, I was taught in American history books that Africa had no history, and neither did I. I was a savage, about whom the less said the better, who had been saved by Europe and brought to America. And of course, I believed it.
0: I didn't have much choice. Those are the only books there were. And you know what the sad part about it is, so many conservatives are trying to restart that whole idea of history where, oh, yeah, no, it was bad in Africa. Like, do you to have some, some conservatives who actually believe that, like, it's bad in Africa, so you should be thankful that you were brought to America? Like, we've actually done on this channel where, um, where we covered the Rebel HQ videos of like, well, look, they, they were better off here than in Africa. And like, they believe this shit because they were just told racist ass lies. But let's go.
5: Everyone else seemed to agree. If you walk out of Harlem, ride out of Harlem downtown, the world agrees. What you see is much bigger, cleaner, whiter, richer, safer than where you are. They collect the garbage. People obviously can pay their life insurance. The children look happy. Say, you're not. And you go back home. And it would seem then, of course, that it's an act of God, that this is true. That you belong where white people have put you. It is only since the second world war that there's been a counter image in the world. And that image did not come about through any legislation on the part of any American government, but through the fact that Africa was suddenly on the stage of the world, and Africans had to be dealt with in a way they'd never been dealt with before. This gave an American Negro for the first time a sense of himself beyond a savage or a clown. It has created, and will create, a great many conundrums, one of the great things that the white world does not know, but I think I do know, is that black people are just like everybody else. One has used the myth of Negro and the myth of color to pretend and to assume that you are dealing essentially with something exotic, bizarre, and practically, according to human laws, unknown.
0: Damn. Damn. Go, do do it, James, do it!
5: Alas, it is not true. We are also mercenaries, dictators, murderers, liars, we are human too. What is crucial here is that unless we can manage to establish some kind of dialogue between those people whom I pretend have paid for the American dream and those other people who have not achieved it, we will be in terrible trouble. I want to say at the end, at the last, is that that is what concerns me most. We are sitting in this room and we are all, at least we like to think we are, relatively civilized. And we can talk to each other at least on certain levels. So that we could walk out of here assuming that the measure of our enlightenment, or at least our politeness, has some effect on the world. It may not. I remember, for example, when the ex-Attorney General, Mr. Robert Kennedy, said that it was conceivable that in 40 years in America we might have a Negro president.
0: It to 64?
5: Yeah, 64. And that sounded like a very emancipated statement, I suppose, to white people. They were not in Harlem when this statement was first heard and did not hear and possibly will never hear the laughter and the bitterness and the scorn in which the statement was greeted. From the point of view of the man in the Harlem Barbershop, Bobby Kennedy only got here yesterday. (laughs) Two. And now he's already on his way to the presidency. We've been here for 400 years, and now he tells us that maybe in 40 years, if you're good, we may let you become president.
0: And it took one of the worst economic downturns since the Great Depression in order for that to happen. Okay, okay.
5: What is dangerous here is the turning away from, the turning away from anything any white American says. The reason for the political hesitation in spite of the Johnson landslide is the one has been betrayed by American politicians for so long. And I am, I am a grown man, and perhaps I can be reasoned with. I certainly hope I can be. But I don't know, and neither does Martin Luther King, none of us know, how to deal with those other people whom the white world has so long ignored, who don't believe anything the white world says, and don't entirely believe anything I or Martin say. Mm. And one can't blame them. You watch what has happened to them in less than 20 years. It seems to me that the city of New York, for example, this is my last point. which has had Negroes in it for a very long time. If the city of New York were able, as it has indeed been able, in the last 15 years to reconstruct itself, tear down buildings and raise great new ones, downtown and for money, and has done nothing whatever except build housing projects in the ghetto for the Negroes and of course the Negroes hate it presently the property does not deteriorate because the children cannot bear it they want to get out of the ghetto if the American pretensions were based on a more solid a more honest assessment of life and of themselves it would not mean for Negroes when someone says urban renewal that Negroes are simply going to be thrown out into the streets which is what it does mean now This is not an act of God. We're dealing with a society made and ruled by men. If the American Negro had not been president in America, I am convinced that the history of the American labor movement would be much more edifying than it is.
0: He's not doing nothing but spitting facts. He's like, wow. Like, just imagine... And we, um, if you watch Boy the Fifth, you'll know that um, Marx was actually for the emancipation of slaves because it actually would take away free or cheap labor. Um, And James Baldwin actually says it early in his speech. But, like, just imagine this shit, man. Imagine this shit. Like, the labor, if it didn't have that constant supply of well, if you don't do it, we need you to do, it. we're going to get the, black people, the, the blacks to actually do the job. Like, imagine if it didn't have that. Like, yeah, no, labor would actually have a lot more power like it had in other places around the world. All because they kept a permanent underclass of people that they wanted to actually use as a tool to exploit the others. Well, let's go.
5: It is a terrible thing for an entire people to surrender to the notion that one-ninth of its population is beneath them. And until that moment, until the moment comes, when we, the Americans, we, the American people, are able to accept the fact that I have to accept, for example, that my ancestors are both white and black, that on that continent we are trying to forge a new identity for which we need each other, and that I am not a ward of America. I am not an object of missionary charity. I am one of the people... Who built the country until this moment there is scarcely any hope for the american dream because the people who are denied participation in it by their very presence will wreck it and if that happens it's a very grave moment for the west thank you
0: all right so what did we learn from this shit One that um, I had to start watching more James Bond speeches on stream. Fucking love it. Like you guys, um, I thank Joe for actually, um, you know, having me actually, um, you know, go over this stream. And I know William F. Buckley. I I I don't have the patience to listen to a racist ass motherfucker over the next twenty minutes. And the the segment's getting too long. So we're gonna cut the segment here. Please like, share, and subscribe and all that other good shit. Yeah.